we just um we know what the show is going to be, yeah. but it, it's going to be it's going to be less of like a production than the last show we did. Last show we yeah. did had. It, I, I think by the end of it, it was three hours long. <laughs> well, you were touring on that. That, yeah, was, like a, that yeah. was like a road show. Yeah. This is sort of a one or, I guess, three off. Yeah, two off. Same night. Two, mm-hmm. two in the same night in yeah. uh, Brooklyn. It's a celebration of the, the 20th anniversary of the first call Tom and I ever did. Yeah. And uh, th- that was in November of, of, of what would that be? 97. Are you a birthday celebrator? Are you an anniversary guy? Do do these sort of do these milestones mean something to you? Yeah, yeah, that one does especially because that that was the first thing we ever did and we had no idea what it was going to be or how it was going to go over if anyone listened or if anyone would care and now here we are 20 yeah. years later and we're celebrating it with two shows in Brooklyn, yeah. Probably for the better actually that you were just sort of sending oh, it out yeah. in the world. Yeah, and um, we've been doing some some press for the shows, and the thing that keeps coming up is is um, is how different th- just it, things were in general back then. Yeah. Where that night we did that call, it was on the radio. It wasn't on anything else. It we never imagined it would be on anything other than the cassette that we recorded it on. Like yeah. we, Tom had a had a cassette in the soundboard, and he taped it. You know, had had it gone terribly, no one would ever know about it. Because it, it now you you fail in public yeah. your very first time out and it's documented for all eternity. Yes, that's right. It sort of lives on the internet forever. But there are some parallels online. You know, you can experiment with things. If nobody knows who you are, you can at least. Right. There's plenty of YouTube channels out there with yeah. you know one or two views per per video. Right. In a sense, it is a little bit of a predecessor to that. Right. I mean, it, there were very few places like that at the time where you could really just try something along those lines yeah it, it was kind of the only place at that time that had a really big audience and at that point i didn't even know how yeah. big the fmu audience was and i didn't for years i don't think tom really knew either until until he started doing those um what are they called the marathon yeah at yeah. fmu where they have a pledge drive and you know he was bringing in like two hundred thousand dollars a year so that just showed you how how many people were listening by that point but when we did it in 97 we had no idea who was listening, yeah. and we were amazed that anybody called in during our call. For anyone who doesn't know what this call was, I called in as a uh, author of a very misguided rock reference book called Rock, Rotten Rule, where I just kind of said just who rocks, who rots, and who rules. And it was all very – not controversial, but it was always all these boneheaded proclamations like David Bowie and – um Neil Young rot because they've made too many changes over the uh-huh. years. And the one that really got people calling in was that I, I said that madness started ska. <laughs> and so these, these, these like scholars were, were calling in. You were purposely trying to, at that point, rile people up to get them to well, call in? At that point, no, we didn't think any, anyone would call in. It was just for our pure <laughs> amusement for the two you of us. You were trying to amuse one another. Yeah, yeah. And we knew what we were going to do, but we never anticipated people calling yeah. in. And the listenership of fmu then and i'm sure it's even more hardcore now was just you know these hardcore music nerds and this guy called in to you know he said uh i i i hold in my hand it was called something like the roots of ska volume one do you know what the first song is and my character goes is it our house he goes dude that's madness so it just went on forever a station like fmu is unique in that it has this reach but also people are 
pretty forgiving. I mean, there's there's a right. lot of just there's a lot of experimental things yeah. happening in the middle of the day. If you try something like that and it doesn't land, right? You know, Tom's Tom's not going to get kicked off the station. No, no. I I, I think the, the idea that we had just kind of struck a a, yeah. a nerve with people who were just because you know, like music nerds are are usually ready to fight in yeah. on some on, like yeah. they're just waiting for someone to. To say the wrong thing yeah. or like the fa- the fact is wrong, like that that album did not come out, and you know, Rocket to Russia did not come out in '79. You've got to get something just a little bit wrong. Exactly, That's what it really yeah. it has to be them. subtle. It yeah, has to be subtle. That's a place where the di- dynamic has changed. That it does seem like in the early days that you were more interested in g- engaging the audience directly. Yeah, and then if anyone cares to check out this giant box set that yeah. Tom, Tom and I put out, uh, I guess a year and a half ago or two years ago um, on Numero Group. There, there's a lot of early calls on that, and um, a lot of times they were great. Like like that night specifically, Rock, Rotten Roll was good, um, a, a couple other calls. But then we found that people were really – you never knew who was going to call in, and Tom did not have – as far as I, I, I recall, he didn't have a call screener. Someone would just call, and he'd pick up, and, and they'd say either, oh, this isn't real. Like this call – this guy's not real. And, and that would kind of derail everything, or it was, yeah, yeah I'm calling about the uh, – the record uh, that you're giving away, and it, and it was it was the, the, it was the previous DJ, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or, or you know, uh, perhaps somebody, not every single person listening to public radio mm-hmm. at ten o'clock on a Tuesday is yeah. necessarily the most stable in the world. Oh, absolutely. As anyone who listens to the show now will <laughs> will hear. <laughs> but what does strike me though is so twenty years ago, which must seem insane now, mm-hmm. uh, but is how similar the template is to what you're still doing. I mean, it seems Very. like you had that pretty well established at that point. Y- yeah, it it just I mean, it, it kind of evolved over the years into yeah. what it is, but it re- you're right, like it really hasn't changed very much. It's it's um the the world of Newbridge, which is the the town that most of of my characters live in. That's gotten bigger, yeah. Just because there's there's so many more yeah. more. I think we we're, I'm sure we've done hundreds of different characters by this. Have point. you ever tried to sit down and draw a map? <laughs> there is a map in there, the box set. Okay, yeah, yeah. It seems like there's neighborhoods being added oh, totally. to Newbridge yeah. pretty much on every call. Yeah, but the idea of really just sort of long form comedy. Yeah, and we couldn't have done that anywhere else but FMU for that long. And then um, now this is the perfect avenue too you know we there's no time limit the only there really is no no uh you know censorship or anything like that but we choose it's almost more fun now for us to still keep it kind of pg yeah. in terms of you know of the words we use like yeah. like instead of saying i don't know what i can say on this podcast uh, you, and, like instead of saying please. cock you would say pant faucet <laughs> so we love coming up with weird terms for for obvious curse words was there a, a direct template for that kind of comedy in your mind at the time was there something you were striving for N- no but the, there is something that that made a huge impact on me and i didn't really i never considered it to be something we were basing our thing on and to this day i don't know if tom has ever heard it, it it's um there was a call that or a bit that sam kinnison did on um harry Shearer's. Yeah, Le Show. I guess it was a radio show. I, yeah. I, I bought it on a CD. Just I found a, a used CD of it, and it's it's this very similar to what we do. It, it's um, Sam Kinison plays the last remaining hostage in in Kuwait, and it, it it's very inappropriate in 2017. But basically, he he was a he was a man who was in the process of having a sex change, 
And so he kind of was in this gray area where they they didn't let him go home because he was he sort of had one foot in both camps or something. But anyway, the his delivery and it's, he's on the phone. Yeah, like I'm sure they did it just in in a studio. Yeah. but it sounds like he's on the phone and very deadpan, very. It's very low impact, but but it it is quite similar to what to what we do. Were you actively pursuing any kind of? Obviously, you're a drummer, but were right. you were you interested in doing comedy no, professionally? No, that's the thing. It, um, I mean, I I always loved comedy. I loved um, SCTV. That was yeah. that was probably the biggest thing. I, I loved um, Fernwood Tonight and um, movies like Take the Money and Run when I was a kid. Yeah. And, and um, there was a movie called Cold Turkey. So I always liked it, and I, and I always liked kind of kind of writing funny things, but I never had any goals of getting in that world. At it, all, all. it also seems like an impossible thing oh, when totally, you're not yeah. around it. Yeah, and that's I think that's what's what's maybe inspiring about what Tom and I have have at this point is that we came in this door that maybe people don't know exists, or yeah. we didn't know existed. And somehow we, we, I mean, it didn't really. Yeah. I mean, again, there's no, there's no direct template no, for it. No, we did this interview the other, other day where the guy was saying, "Do you, you know, did you do improv or any of that stuff?" And we didn't do any of that stuff. We'd go see when I was, I'd, I'd come to New York for Super Chunk things yeah. or, or something. I, um, we'd all go to see the original UCB at, at that first theater with Amy mm-hmm. and the Mats and Ian. It was great, but it, it, it never seemed like my world really the great thing about ucb and and all of these these avenues now is is the way that it sort of democratizes things but at the same time even getting into comedy on a low level is still feels pretty intimidating oh i'm sure yeah i mean it's um especially now like, yeah. i remember back then it, it was still it felt like a secret society just because it wasn't yeah it just wasn't that they didn't big. all have tv shows no, at that point no. and I remember watching those four specifically and guys like Mike Delaney and, and um, I'm sure Brian Stack was in there. And it just felt like, wow, that's that's the major leagues, you know, yeah. and how do you even think about getting on a, on a stage with with, with yeah. those kind of people? It's in major leagues, but at the same time, it's like it's a tiny, oh, it's tiny. It's a yeah, tiny exactly. little yeah, yeah. So that's the yeah. other thing, too, is like, oh, this is the this is the peak. But I guess this is sort of what I have to look forward to. Yeah. I heard an interview with Jim Carrey recently, mm-hmm. who said, who I guess started off as a as an impressionist, yeah, and said that he he visited Las Vegas and saw like you know Rich Little and three or four other people performing in Las Vegas, and he was like, oh, this is it, like this is this is the best of all possible worlds. <laughs> so that was like what ended up sort of dissuading him yeah. from pursuing that that path. But you you never really felt intimidated by that because the bar in a sense was so low doing this on FMU. Well, in term in terms of like the the larger comedy world. To this day, I still think of myself as a music guy. Yeah, like I'm, I'll always be a music guy first. So I, I always feel like if it bombs or what I do isn't great, I'm a drummer. What do you want? What do you want from me? There's always that which is yeah. It's a weird like like net to have, which I don't know if it's good or not. When you get out there and and you know do an event like a live show or something where like you know it. A John Hodgman is around, or like right. a Paul Tompkins is around. Do you do you still feel out of place? Yeah, yeah, I do. Like uh, you mentioned, Fred, um, about a, I guess it was a a year ago. Uh, Fred and and Bill Hader asked me to be in this episode of Documentary Now that yeah. they were doing, which was like a a spoof of yeah. of Stop Making Sense, and that was sort of the perfect world for me because it was I was the drummer in the band. We were actually playing and. 
So I was able to do that. And then they also gave me some, some acting stuff in it. So, but it was minor. Yeah. So it was great because it was, it was 90% music and 10% funny stuff. <laughs> so that was really nice. I have this obsession with imposter syndrome lately because it just seems like for a lot of people, it never really, it never goes away. Mm-hmm. Do you get that sense of like, maybe I don't necessarily belong in this world? Oh, yeah. Well, I, I had, it's funny, I had it the next day. I haven't really discussed this much, but the next day, through this weird fluke, I got to record with Nick Cave. Oh. The next. But, the, that, but that's your music hat. Yes, that's, and I, fe- the but I felt like do. an imposter there, yeah. too, because it was, it was me and him and, and these, you know, cats, these older, I was the youngest guy there, and, uh, and I, I'm, I'm 50. But it went well, but that's an example of feeling like an imposter in in my world he tore bob molds like yeah I, that's a pretty he's a pretty big guy yeah. who's done some very important things and that doesn't that doesn't change the math for you at all i almost feel like if 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 i let myself go down that road then i'll be you'll be an asshole i'll be the guy i don't want to be yeah you know yeah. it's true like anyone <laughs> i do get the sense that like everybody i like mm-hmm. who seems like a nice person has some fundamental piece of self-doubt Oh, yeah, I think you have to. And I think the people that, that, that don't have that, either they're hiding it or if they really don't have it, then they're not great. Like, yeah. Because there's nothing there's, – there's, they're not on any kind of tightrope, I, I, I think. You know what I mean? Yeah. Doubt is important, yeah, right? Yeah. Second-guessing yourself is, is, yeah. is important. If you put out the first thing you make into the world, it's probably going to be terrible. Right. And it's funny. There's a, this story of that Albert Brooks tells of you know he he kind of like apparently was was successful out of the gate like yeah. a, as a younger guy like on on Carson and these shows like that yeah. and he didn't really s- struggle and he didn't have any doubt and then apparently one of these nights he was I don't know if he was on Carson or s- some show and it all kind of hit him at once and I think he never really pursued that avenue again because it, it was it was so traumatic that like he didn't allow himself that doubt or, or, or the, you know, he, he, he was, he's very confident out of the gate and he had, had, the, had the success out of the gate. He stopped doing stand-up? I think so. I think that's the story. Yeah. Yeah. They call that the yips in baseball. Is that right? It's that thing that like, you know, you can be performing at the major league level for right. a long time and then for whatever reason, they don't know why it happens mm-hmm. and they don't really know how to, how to cure it. But just all of a sudden you have this sense of doubt that you can't throw something wow, yeah. and it just completely derails people's oh, careers. Yeah. I suppose that like having a lot of projects mm-hmm. doing a lot of things at once is potentially pretty helpful in that like you don't, nothing is your life, nothing is life or death and, yeah. and you don't have to, I mean, you obviously you take things seriously, but you don't have to take anything too seriously. Yeah, it's true. And I think back to when I was in the, Basically, super chunk the band I've been in forever. Kind of went on hiatus in in o two or o three or so, and then so this I had this stretch between like o two or three and maybe like o seven or eight when I really didn't have a lot going on. I I get like mm. one cool thing a year. Like I got to play with Robert Pollard from Guided by Voices. Yeah, well, and, that's one more cool thing than most people well, have. To be fair, so <laughs> I think and, even... and and things like that. Or like I was telling you earlier, um, I had a gig where I I would write funny commercials for MTV. So yeah. like that that would happen maybe once or twice a year. But it was really like slim for that that period of time. So I always think about that period and that makes me really grateful for where I am now. I do have like a bunch of things that are I'm able to kind of bounce between. Has that forced you knowing sort of what the other side looks like? Has that forced you to be more active? Well, it's funny. I felt the op. I think it's the opposite for me, mm. where I was really just like pounding it, trying to make something happen for those five years. N- not a whole lot happened, yeah. and then as soon as 
Yeah. Basically, I, I moved up here with my now ex-girlfriend in, in February of 08. And we were we were already sort of coming apart. And I started getting these gigs. I, I thought I would try to make some sort of game of comedy writing up here. Yeah. And then, like, as soon as I got here, I got I started get, to get music gigs. AC Newman from the New Pornographers, and that's when the Mountain Goat started. You moved to New York, and you started getting all these offers from non-New York bands. None of it had anything to do with being here. Yeah, <laughs> and, and 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 then Bob Mall. That's when that happened. And so then I was just on the road the whole time. And so I just and I felt like the, the more things I was doing, the more things were coming to me also. This career slowdown mm-hmm. and for non-career reasons, you moved to New York and that was sort of an excuse to try something completely different. I thought it was going to be. Yeah. And then, because I, I thought, I didn't think I was done with music, but I just thought, oh, well, that's, that's it's never going to be as much music as, as it was for me in the, in the 90s. And then it just, you know, I hate to use the phrase, is the, the universe told me, but it, it felt like I was getting pulled back into it. Like, it's, you're not done with music yet. Are you still interested in pursuing comedy more seriously? I mean, it sounds like that was just sort of happenstance of you mm-hmm. feeling like this other thing had dried out and potentially you had another avenue. Right. Or was that something that, like, you legitimately really wanted to throw yourself into at the time? I, I felt like it was the only option. I did want to do it, but I I didn't think I was nearly good enough to get like a yeah. a writing gig, like a staff gig or something. Again, did it for outside reasons, but moving to New York mm-hmm. and expecting to do one thing. I mean, it's mm-hmm. obviously, again, cliche, but it, this is, I think there are some songs about how this is yeah. a hard place to, you know, yeah. sur- to survive in. So, you, you know, you felt like you had the foundation mm-hmm. of something that you could actually live in New York City and survive by doing that. Right. Like I said, the... That, that's when the music really kicked in, and yeah. and I don't think I was ever here for more than two weeks at a time, and and so I ended up just thinking, well, it's half as expensive to live back in North Carolina, so I'll just go, <laughs> go back there because nothing, none of those gigs I had were yeah. were even based here at that yeah. point. And John was uh, in North Carolina. John was there at that point. And, yes, yeah, super chunk, yep. obviously. It is shocking to me though. Like every once in a while, I have somebody on the show, like like actually two very recent examples of of episodes. We just put it up at episode. Uh, with Glenn Morrow, mm-hmm. who's a New Jersey guy, and Clint Conley, yeah. were both guys who did music and then just quit it for a really long time. You know, Glenn was obviously Glenn like now? he's uh, he's running Bar None still. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and, and actually, he just had a really great album come out, like his, his first album in like 28 years oh, or wow, something okay. like that. These people who can do something and have it be their passion in their life mm-hmm. and then leave it for that long and not really miss it. It's kind of mm-hmm. it's shocking to me that that's that that's possible. I mean, there's something that drives you to pick it up in the first place, and clearly it's what you want to do with your life. But the fact that something else can kind of come along and you can put that on the back shelf is something that I I can't really wrap my brain around. Well, I think if, you, if you've done one thing long enough, like I feel like at this point where I kind of know everything about the music experience in terms of like touring, recording, yeah. blah, blah, blah. Because so, I've been doing it, you know, for since like 1986 really like yeah. a, as a job and I do feel like sometimes if I if I was done if I didn't do it again I wouldn't really miss it because I've sort of experienced all of it yeah not like the super highs or of like arena rock or anything but there is that aspect to it where it's like oh yeah I, I know what I'm I know exactly what I'd be missing if I wasn't doing it anymore and I probably wouldn't miss it because I did it so much. Is it that thing of once you start doing something that you romanticize professionally that 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 kind of all of the romantic notions you have begin to drain out of it? Yeah, there is that. Um, But it's funny, like you'll have have those moments where you'll play a venue that 
you've known about since you were a kid, and yeah. you always thought, wow, it would be amazing to play there. Like, I, I still have that now where with Mountain Goats, we we opened for Jason Isbell uh, for a couple nights mm-hmm. at the Beacon Theater. And, like, that was a bucket list one. I was like, yeah. oh, my God. And, and you do have that feeling of I'm 14 years old, and this yeah. is where I read about the – there was a great Dead Kennedys, millions of dead cops show here, and and now I'm here too. Yeah, you know, and this is where the Stones played. You know, and they shot uh, Shine a Light, and the Tower Theater in Philadelphia, Superchunk played there. That's where I saw some of the greatest shows I've ever seen yeah. when I was a kid. So you sort of need you need these moments to happen yeah. in order for you to appreciate that it's crazy that you get to do the thing that you get to do for a living. Yeah, I, I you know it's. This might be a terrible thing to say or to oh, hear, hear but it's like my life turned out exactly how I, how I hoped it would. <laughs> it's not a terrible thing at all. Well, there's that line in, in broadcast news where, yeah. where where I think it's something like, what do you do when your all your dreams came true or yeah. something? And Albert Brooks says, don't tell anybody. <laughs> Granted, you're a professional rock musician, but you feel like you're at exactly the level that you wanted to be at? I, I thought it would be a little higher, honestly, but I didn't think it would go nearly this long. In, in terms of like I've, I've been doing it for about – however many 30, 30 years or 30 yeah, some years like, yeah. and I make a decent living at it I don't have to really answer to anybody I don't have a boss and I get to do this this stuff with Tom too so when it did dry up 10 years ago and, and you weren't getting a lot of music gigs were you still actively playing a lot yeah um super Chunk would play a little bit like once or twice a year I and- guess I mean from the standpoint of again some of these musicians I mm-hmm. talk to some of them will tell me you know they throw the and I know it's not the same right. with the drums, but, you know, they throw the guitar in the closet and don't play with it. And other ones will, you know, pick it up and no, strum it every I, yeah. so often. I, I would play almost every day. Yeah. In the basement, which I, I love doing, just playing along with records. There is a part of you that, like, probably wouldn't really be able to let that go. No, and, and I, I think that might be a drummer's thing where <laughs> you just need the physical. Yeah. Like, I, I find if I don't play the drums for a week or so, I, I, I get depressed or I just don't feel right. It's like going to the gym for mm-hmm. you almost. Yeah. It's like endorphins. Yeah. And... yeah. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Definitely. At this point, when you're doing as many things as you're doing, how do you prioritize anything? I was really amazed for a while there when it, and it seemed like you were, you know, super crazy with eight different bands. Mm-hmm. I think it was like right around the time it, that Super Chunk got back together. Right. Yeah. And it was like, oh, but he's still calling in every week. Mm-hmm. This is a thing that I've never been able to figure out or people who are full-time freelancers you know, I have a job that I go in from nine to six. Mm-hmm. I need that organization in my right. life in order to have me work on anything. Yeah. But how are you able to basically spin, you know, a hundred different plates all at the same time? I guess I'm the opposite. I mm. don't want to come somewhere every day yeah. and, 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 ha- and have that, uh, structure. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, so I guess, or either I've just gotten so I think you're it. more normal than I am. I don't think that like most people like coming into an office. Probably right, yeah. yeah. But structure is, is kind of important for me. I mean, I do freelancing on the side, but I just don't – I don't know how anyone's able to n- not only keep track but, again, prioritize things. Right. It's it's a lot of planning in advance now. Yeah. So like this year, for, for instance, was a big touring year for the Mountain Goats because we had a record come out yeah. earlier in the year. So a lot of touring and the mountain goats tour m- most of the three bands i'm in uh super chunk and, and bob mold um so that was just a, a, a lot of this year was that and bob we finished touring his record last year at the end of last year so he didn't really have anything much going on this year are the different projects how much of them are dependent on what your schedule is like I think that's a big part of it now. You obviously have more projects going on than most people. I can't imagine Super Chunk touring without you. They're kind of working around your schedule? 
It seems like it, yeah. And um, the cool thing about the mountain goats is is that John will go. John, it's always under the name of the mountain yeah. goats, but sometimes it's just John. Sometimes well, it's it just was just John Peter, for the longest Peter, time. And, yeah, yeah. So this is Peter and John, and right now Matt, our newest guy, and John are in Europe. So yeah. it's if, if he wants to do something, I don't. If I'm not available, then he can still do it, and it'll be great. You must have gotten pretty good at, at organizing at this point. Yeah, it, I think it's gotten easier. It, it helps a lot to not have a family. I think that's the kids and yes, yeah. yeah. Did the best show? Was that something that ever felt like it was going to fall by the wayside? Obviously, it's not really a, a money maker for you. It's probably a money loser for you in some no, now respects. We make some money. Okay, yeah, yeah. But, nice. but for a long time, especially when it was on FMU, oh, and yeah, you couldn't yeah. pull in a profit from no, it. No. Some things probably had to take a back seat in order for you to, to do that because we've talked about this before. There's a lot more prep goes into what you do there. I think than oh, most a lot, people yeah. think. But given the fact that you were doing it for as long as you were, mm-hmm. and you had these other things that were making you money, was it something that you considered stepping away from? No, it's it's so weird now. Now that we think about that, now we are making money through yeah. the show because it's its own thing now. Uh, it exists on its own. I can't believe we did it for so long with all that work. F- for no money, yeah, and it was any money that was raised was really going going to FMU, which was which, which is good, which cause. was great, but it was unpaid job for thirteen yeah. years or something. So again, when you had all these other really cool gigs mm-hmm. on the side, what kept that going for so long? It was just fun, like that. That, that I think when I'm dead, that's going to be what yeah I'd like to most be remembered for. Not that I don't love all the music I played on, but that's the most me personally of any of of the things I've been in, involved in. When you're a drummer you do kind of have to be at the whims of the rest yeah, of the band. Yeah, and I, I, and I love being a team player. I love yeah. being a side guy in that situation. I love that. And the best show and the things that we do with, that I do with Tom, that's when I really get my, my creative outlet happening. And so, so that's great. I, I feel like when I'm playing drums, I'm, I'm a supporting guy. And when I'm doing the best show, I'm more of a co-creator. I guess same question that I asked as far as, you know, the level that you're at in music, but are, are you happy if this is as high as the best show gets if this is as popular if there's no tv special or anything else that comes out of it are, are you happy with that level yeah because it's it's its own thing and i don't know of anyone else who's doing anything like it so so it it i think tom and i ha- have a, a have have pride in, in in that especially that it's it, it's its own thing and there really isn't anyone doing what we do so that feels really great, and that's that's kind of its own reward. I guess there is a little bit of a analog to to talking about coming into the office from the standpoint of having structure and having deadlines. You don't necessarily get in the same way with music, especially in a band with a band like Superchunk, where you know I assume that it's ever you know Mac, Mac and Laura are doing, and then they you know send out the bat signal and call everybody together. But the best show is a weekly thing, so you really do have deadlines, and this is something oh, yeah. that that forces you to be creative and active every week in a way that music doesn't necessarily oh yeah yeah i mean it's it's like a three three day work week just for that yeah what is that process how does a uh why, why does it take three days to do a, a we 20 wa- minute phone call we want them to be really good yeah uh, and uh you know we like them to be a, a story you yeah. know and and have have a beginning and middle and end and then we have these little points in where we'll It'll just say riff. We riff on okay. this, on this, and so so there's elements of you know spontaneity and improv, but but it's in the context of a of a thought out scripted piece. So it's the two of you just sort of batting ideas yeah, back and forth yeah. over email, or, or yeah. and you're writing all these things the mm-hmm. week of. 
Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah sometimes we'll do. We've had a, had a couple things where where they'll they'll be they'll have produced elements. I'm not sure how f- familiar you are with the show, but we did a um, a call where I called in as uh, a, a recurring character named named Darren. Darren from work, and he's he's a guy that Tom mm-hmm. works with at the cardboard factory. Darren has unearthed literally this this cassette of of the two of them from back in 1982 yeah. where they they did their own version of Pink Floyd's The Wall yeah. but it was called the the Newbridge Wall. And so we have a have a great music guy back in Chapel Hill where I live named Brian Dennis and and he and I got together and we recorded our own version of these songs but in so like I sang as a child like a child's voice and he he's such a good player that he played all the instruments left-handed yeah. left-handed yeah. so they just sound terrible <laughs> and so every now and then we'll do something like that where yeah. where there's a, a pre-produced element to it that's a interesting high watermark from the standpoint of that seems like something where you when you look at it and think about if you could at some point potentially make this really a full-time gig mm-hmm. that's the kind of thing that you could do week in week out oh yeah yeah, yeah um I'm I'm sure we'd love to do that. We both just have different different lives right now. You know, Tom Tom has his TV writing life, and I'm on the road a lot playing music, which I still love to do. So I I think maybe when we're old older dudes, I'll, I don't know if we'll age ourselves out of the, out of the game by that yeah. point. But but uh, maybe th- that could be the next frontier for us. You did do a little TV writing in there. I mean, you mentioned the commercial stuff before, but yeah, you were actually yeah. writing for some series. Yeah. Um. Well, Tom was a writer producer on on Monk for since its inception yeah. for, for the entire run, and and he got me hired to write an episode that was really fun that was really cool that was around like oh oh six or so that was just a one-off for you yeah yeah and and that's soon after that is when my music life kicked in again so i didn't really ever pursue the tv stuff after that except for um every now and then i get i get hired by people at adult swim to do yeah like i i wrote a little bit for on on a couple episodes of squid billies and um your pretty face is going to hell you did a a one-off for them too a the yeah, Newbridge one, the Newbridge thing. Yeah. Yes, yeah, and that was fun. That that was really fun. Did that feel like a pilot for you, or was that just was that? No, did you know it was a one off? No, time? I think we both knew it, yeah. it was a one off. Yeah, and, and Thomas had a, a experience at Adult Swim too, and um, so yeah, it just felt like something fun to do, and they yeah. were w- willing to let us do it. I mean, in a sense, you've really never kind of left that place where it sort of started off as a pretty low-pressure situation. I mean, you know, for him, and he complains about this pretty regularly. <laughs> You're laughing. The kind of relative, like, lack of opportunities that he's gotten given the... <laughs> Is that coming from a real place? I, I don't know. <laughs> I, 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 uh, some of it, I really... Yeah. I, I, I don't know. But but it's, it's, it's that thing of being J.J. Kale or somebody, right. you know, of like... Right. Yeah. Of being like... Or, or uh, Bill Hicks or somebody, mm-hmm. you know, like being the comedian's comedian yeah. of being this thing that like everybody at UCB loves, mm-hmm. everybody, all these like important decision makers right. like, but you're never able to sort of connect those dots. Yeah. It's frustration for him. But again, you know, since you since you're able to say like, this is not my real job, you don't really have that same kind of pressure on that you. same pressure. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's hard. I mean, it, it's um, I'm lucky I, I have a couple things that I can do relatively well yeah. it it does make it easier and I, I remember back when like we we're talking about when i thought music had kind of faded away when i, I don't know what i was doing I was, I was hoping i would have maybe some kind of more more of a writing career and it's not that easy to just like get that rolling and yeah and that's when that pressure kicks in too it's just like yeah oh i don't i don't know if i have anything now yeah what am i gonna do looking at the 20th anniversary is that 
an opportunity to kind of reassess things? Does that change your relationship with that material in any way? There's never time to think about it, really. But like we we're talking about where it's yeah. like then those I need those three days after, like after the show. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll have one or two days to get yeah. the next call together. So it's always there's never enough time to really to really assess it like that. Yeah. You know, there's always the next call. We should sit down together and just discuss that and think of it's good keeping busy is good i had an experience because i because i'm in publishing so i've I've been laid off a couple of times and you know i had an experience of for about a year when i was you know doing some freelancing not by choice and i don't know what this says about me but when things slow down i mean that's i you know i went through a pretty significant bout of depression at the time of just feeling like i mean a there's just that sense of i don't know how valuable this thing is that i've been doing for this long Mm -hmm. nobody really wants the thing that i'm putting into the world but also of just i would compare to like having like tinnitus right you don't like notice tinnitus until everything quiets down yep and then when you're sort of in this spot and you're not working I mean, that's when the self-doubt really, really kicks in. That must have been, for that long of a period, that must have been a really rough time. You must have had to reassess things. Yeah, and um, I just didn't know if there was anything else out there. Yeah. You know, and that's that's the hard part where you, you just think, oh, well, maybe that's it. Yeah. Am I going to have to drop out of society? The two <laughs> options are either get a real job or get go off the yeah, grid. Yeah, And of course, like when one bad thing happens, that's when the chain reaction starts. Right. I mean, that's when you're like, that's when your relationship starts unraveling. I mean, it does seem like, I don't know if it's like causation or correlation, but everything really hits at once. Yeah. And sometimes I I felt for for me that that it, it does have to kind of bottom out before you mm. bounce up. Yeah, and like I said, that's when that's when things really started to kind of t- take off a little more. Was when I, I I did hit bottom in terms of no gigs really coming, not much happening, yeah. and and then I was super depressed, and and then like one gig happened, Mountain Goats kind of came out of nowhere, and and then that led to Bob, and so on and so on and so on. So you're just gonna keep keep busy as much as possible. I think so. I hope so. There you go, that was John Worcester recorded that one just ahead of a couple of shows that Sharpling and Worcester did in Brooklyn to celebrate the 20th anniversary of their first sketch, Rot, Rock, and Rule. So as good an opportunity as any to reflect back on their comedy career. Thanks so much to him for taking the time to do that. Really enjoy uh, pretty much everything that John does from uh, from comedy to bands. He's involved with uh, some of my favorite everythings in the world right now. Also highly recommend that you follow him on Twitter, one of the funniest folks going at John Worcester. You can also check out The Best Show over at thebestshow.net. Thanks to him for taking the time to do that. Thanks to you guys, as always, for listening to the program. If you like the show, there are plenty of ways to support us. Uh, like us over on Facebook, rate us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. We do have a Patreon going as well if you want to send a couple of bucks our way. Follow us on Tumblr. That's riylcast.tumblr.com. That is the first and best place to get all of your RIYL related information. Send us an email. That's riylcast at gmail.com and I think that's about all of the self plugs that I got right now so stick around because we'll be back just about this time next week with another episode of R.A.Y.L.